Well, let's begin as we um, prepare our hearts and minds for worship. We have a couple announcements this morning as we get settled in. One thing to note on your calendar, um, on the printed schedule, it says that there is a campus involvement fair today directly after chapel. That has actually been moved to next Friday, Um, so be prepared for that. It's a great way to get um, involved in different things going on on campus, Um, so be watching for that next week. Tonight, though, there is Kingdom Experience. It's led by our SGA and our, um, and our student-led worship. Um, that's today, tonight at 6 o'clock, and it's outside behind Angel and Wally on the lawn. We also have a few home games this weekend. Women's soccer at 11 a.m. And, and women's tennis at 1 p.m., as well as many away games um, this weekend as well. So be sure to support your, your athletic teams. For any of those who are not aware, there is a new app. It's called ENC Events App, so it can keep you on track with all the events going on this weekend. It is Labor Day this weekend. You guys do not have classes on Mondays, so that's exciting. You might be um, tempted to go home for the first weekend, but I really would encourage you to stick around and enjoy all the fun events that are going on on campus. And the last note on that is, um, for any of those of you who have been here for, for a little while, you know how difficult it can be to connect into a new church. Um, So I just want to make you mindful of that to be sure to invite our new students and anyone that you um, are connected to, maybe invite them to church with you this Sunday um, as everyone's getting connected into this new community. So Wally meets here and there's many others um, throughout the community as well. The last announcement, I'd like to just um, introduce our speaker for this morning before we begin um, with prayer. <laughs> I just got a wink, but we are married, so I guess that's okay. But our speaker, <laughs> our speaker this morning is um, Professor Montague Williams. Uh, many of you have had him. <laughs> he usually teaches all freshmen for um, Christian tradition, but this year he's actually teaching seniors, so you new students won't have him for a little while. But anyway, he, um, he will be sharing the message with us this morning. But would you mind standing with me as we um, pray together and enter into worship? Lord, we thank you for this space, um, for this time, to be able to gather together, Lord, and worship you. We thank you for this first week of classes and activities here at ENC. And God, in the midst of the many events and activities, Lord, we ask for these moments, Lord, that you would just um, calm our hearts and minds, that you would still us in your presence. Lord, that we would be here um, to worship you. And God, we ask that you would um, be with all those involved this morning, whether they be leading in worship or or bringing us the message. Um, God, may we sense your presence here amongst us. And for that, we give you thanks and praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Good morning, second chapel of the academic year. Uh, This morning, the story we heard, read from the Gospel of Luke that Greg read for us, it's a really familiar story, and I'm sure many of you recognized it. In fact, it's probably one of the most common stories children hear in Sunday school, and it's often done with a song. I imagine some of you know that Zacchaeus song, you know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, Uh, The song runs through the story pretty quickly, obviously. The first verse explains that Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. 
The second verse explains that he got to see Jesus. And the third verse explains that Zacchaeus, even though he was a wee little man, he was now a happy man. The wee little happy man. There it is. You know the story. It's there. Finally. Done. Uh, (laughs) Of course, that is if we just take it out of context. And um, anyway, it's such a familiar story that it often gets passed over just like that. Oh, Zacchaeus, been there, heard that, move on. I already know what the story's all about. But the more I pay attention to the common stories in Scripture, the more I see intense wrestling with human struggles and vivid portrayals of some of our deepest questions. The story begins with Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. Another way of putting it is that Jesus is on his way to his crucifixion. But nobody knows that at this point. They're just pumped that Jesus would be coming their way. The fact is, they've all heard about Jesus. And they all have their various reasons for coming out to see him. The crowd is huge. Now, I imagine it like the Macy's Day Parade. Large crowd down the street on the left. Large crowd down the street on the right. And when Jesus is coming down the street, there's a large crowd following behind him. This was the place to be. The crowd grew bigger and bigger. In the passage right before Zacchaeus' story, there's a blind man on the side of the road. And he hears the crowd passing by. And he yells out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And people in the crowd tried to get him to be quiet. But he just kept yelling. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Luke 18, 40 says, Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He says, Lord, I want to see. Jesus told him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, the man received his sight and followed Jesus, joined the crowd. And it says, when all the people saw it, they also praised God. So there's a lot of amazing things happening as Jesus is coming down this way as the crowd is growing. It's a joyful crowd. They've seen some really great things happen. Anybody would have a good time there. Almost anybody. For Zacchaeus, it wasn't a friendly crowd. When Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector and that he was rich, our our response is supposed to be shock. Like, what? What in the world is he doing in that crowd? Zacchaeus is not liked by the crowd. Even though his Jewish identity made him part of the crowd, his role as tax collector put him at odds with the crowd. Taxes were forced upon the Jewish community by the Roman government. And in this this context, the top 2% of the population owned 60% of the wealth. And it was people connected to the Roman government who benefited from this disparity. So if a Jewish person was a tax collector, they were seen as a traitor to their own people. On top of that, a lot of tax collectors would make people pay a little bit more money than they really had to so they could pocket some for themselves. That was just the assumption. So the fact that Zacchaeus is the chief of tax collectors tells us that no one in the crowd wants him there. And because he's rich, he's pretty much known for ripping people off. This crowd, although joyous for some, this crowd is actually a very dangerous place for him to be. And he knows it. He knows it. 
And with all of those issues, yes, he's also short. Considering the era, the location, we tend to conclude he was about four feet in height. So here's this four-foot man in this huge crowd. And verse 3 says he wanted to see Jesus. But the interesting thing is the original language that the New Testament was written in uh, has this word here, want, but it's a little different than how we normally think of the word want. You know, we think of want like, I want, I, there's this cognitive desire, there's this longing. You, you feel like you need something really bad even though you don't really need it. It's kind of up in your head, you know. But that's not really what this word, if you were to translate it well, really translates to. It actually implies active effort. It implies that Zacchaeus was trying to see Jesus. You can imagine Zacchaeus in this crowd standing on his toes until his calves start to burn, getting ready to jump as soon as Jesus starts to pass by, but knowing that even jumping might not help. Okay, show of hands. How, who here has ever been to a concert for some event or a concert or some other event where everybody had to stand? Lots of hands. Lots of hands. All right. David, tell us where you were. Okay, so he says that he was at a One Direction concert. Okay? Um, All right. Okay, he says that he's not happy that they're breaking up. Okay. All right, so One Direction? Okay. Okay, now he's crying. Okay. Uh, Maybe I was kidding. I don't know. But... Either way, uh, so some of you know what that's like. Now, I imagine most of you, if you were in that crowd and you saw, uh, you saw someone uh, trying to get to the front, uh, someone trying to pass you, you probably blocked them. You probably acted like, nope, I'm a wall, I'm a wall, no one's going to get past me. I know that you're not going to get that much further, but I'm a wall. Or they got past you because they said something like, Mom, Mom, I'll be right there, or something like that. Or they acted like their girlfriend or boyfriend was somewhere up the way and they had to get there. And so maybe somebody let them through and you gave them a dirty look or something like that. Or maybe you were actually the person trying to weasel your way to the front of the crowd. And if you were, you know a little bit of this feeling Zacchaeus had of trying to see Jesus, this attempt of trying to see. You know what that's like to try to swim through the crowd, even if it was at this One Direction concert, which I may or may not have made up. Uh, he's fine with it. Good. <laughs> if it, okay, so anyway, uh, but the thing is, at this at this concert, wherever you were, even if you didn't get as far as you wanted to be, even if you were just stuck, you knew like it's just good to be here, even if you can't see. You just knew the speakers are going to blare the music and people are going to start singing and you get to be a part of something bigger than yourself and this large group of people, you're kind of all on the same team and it all feels good and it's a great thing, but that's not Zacchaeus' experience. In this large group, Zacchaeus is alone. In this large crowd, Zacchaeus is unsafe and alone. Even though he's trying as hard as he can to see the same Jesus everyone else came to see, no one considers him part of the larger group. So after failed attempts in the crowd, he looks down the street, sees a sycamore fig tree, and thinks, perfect, perfect. Because, you know, sycamore fig trees, 
They're, they're thicker, they're sturdier. Actually, the branches come out here not so high, so you can climb it pretty quickly. The other thing kind of cool about sycamore fig trees is that the leaves hang down, okay? So the leaves can actually hide him from the crowd, which is kind of cool. I want you to get this. The sycamore fig tree does not just allow Zacchaeus to have this view of Jesus. It allows him to hide from the crowd. The sycamore fig tree is a hiding place. For Zacchaeus, it feels like a refuge. But of course, it pronounces his loneliness even more boldly. Do you see that? Here's Zacchaeus, longing to see Jesus, but finds himself having to hide to get away from Jesus' followers. Well, it doesn't take long before the crowd gets loud. Jesus is passing their way. Zacchaeus is both excited and nervous at the same time as he peeks through the leaves and sees Jesus getting closer and closer to his tree. The leaves may hang over, but it doesn't swing under. So one of the scariest thoughts would be, what if Jesus gets so close that he can look up and see Zacchaeus behind these leaves hiding? Verses 5 through 8, this is what it says. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He is gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Now, obviously... Jesus takes a very different approach than the crowd. Rather than isolating him or perpetuating Zacchaeus' loneliness, Jesus offers him friendship. Now, I think we often assume this kind of thing is the end of the story. It's the Jesus moment. I mean, doesn't that mean the problem is solved? Jesus is the answer and Zacchaeus is happy, right? No. In this story, Jesus serves more as the disruption than the answer. Jesus becomes more of the question that breaks open the conversation that needs to happen. Or more accurately, the question that breaks open a conflict. In this story, Jesus makes things complicated. His actions leave the crowd upset, frustrated, and shocked. It's not simply because they wish Jesus ate at their homes. It's not simply about jealousy. No, they're upset, frustrated, and shocked because in their eyes, Zacchaeus is not one of them. They see him as someone who may maybe used to be one of them, but used to be part of the people of God, but no longer is. And they've accepted this way of relating to Zacchaeus as the norm. But the actions of Jesus disrupts their norms and breaks open a conflict. The crowd begins to get out of hand talking about Zacchaeus, and then Zacchaeus speaks up and says what he's trying to say for a while. He says that he's currently making an attempt to be a part of the community again. When Zacchaeus says, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, he's revealing something about himself that no one in the crowd realized. He's saying, Jesus, I know what I've done is wrong. I know that my wealth is earned on the backs of the poor. But Jesus, Lord, I currently give my possessions to the poor. I'm trying, but these people won't let me in. See, we have a hard time with that because we so badly want to read this story 
in a way that suggests he's only giving his possessions to the poor because Jesus called him down from the tree. The NIV translation, which we've read today, throws in this phrase here and now to suggest that he's just beginning to give his possessions only after talking to Jesus. The NRSV, interestingly, takes it even a step further by translating it to, I will give my possessions to the poor, as if Zacchaeus will do this sometime in the future after the event. But it's a present tense verb. This is something he already does even before arriving to the crowd and climbing the tree. It's a new identity he's been trying to take on. The fact that he came to the crowd is reflective of this new identity. Zacchaeus has been trying. But before this disruption, no one would be willing to hear that. Even we as readers and translators have a hard time seeing Zacchaeus the way Jesus does. Why do we have such a hard time with this? Well, I think it's because we know people who have hurt us. We know people who have turned their backs on community. We know people who have lived double lives. Oh, we know Zacchaeus. And when Zacchaeus begins to make changes, it's hard to see him. It's hard to see her through the lens of their new hope in Christ. It's much easier to fit Zacchaeus in a box labeled sinner and look the other way. It's much easier to force Zacchaeus into hiding than look Zacchaeus in his face and see his humanity than to look her in her face and see her humanity, a person who is made in the image of God. Listen, I don't know who you identify with When you hear this Zacchaeus story, you may identify with the crowd. You may identify with Zacchaeus. You may be honestly trying to seek reconciliation with your community and just not sure how to do it. For all I know, you may identify with the sycamore fig tree. And that does make you think, well, that's kind of strange. (laughs) But it's true. You may currently be serving as a hiding place, a refuge for someone. A place someone goes to catch a glimpse of Jesus. But I know this. By the grace of God, all people are invited to be children of Abraham. All of us are equally dependent on grace. All of us can experience transformation towards God's hope for us. All of us. The challenge is to take time and see and hear each other in the story. And recognize each other's plea for God. Christian faith is not meant to be lived alone. In fact, our salvation in Christ disrupts our journey and calls us to crash into each other's stories. Now, I imagine many of you have noticed that ENC has a tagline Discover Your Purpose. It's embedded in some of the ENC logos. It's on the website, business cards. And, you know, some of you probably chose to come to ENC because an admissions counselor handed you their business card. You held it, and the words discover your purpose just glowed. And you thought, yes, this is where I need to be. It's possible. Uh, if so, I mean, that, let's give a raise to the marketing department. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, 
And that's a, that's a pretty bold promise, isn't it? In four years, you're going to discover your purpose. That's one uh, student learning outcome that would be difficult to assess. <laughs> so difficult that some of you get extensions to discover your purpose in five to six years, which is understandable. Uh, now, I'm not supposed to do this, but I want to give you one major clue, one major clue into discovering your purpose. Okay? Seniors, this is pretty timely. If you haven't picked up on this clue yet, you're about to get it. First year students, take this as a bonus as you jumpstart your search. Ready? Here it is. Your purpose, your purpose is not all about you. My purpose is not all about me. Now words like, I saw my wife getting teary. We have this teary connection now. It's kind of weird. <laughs> I think it's because she's pregnant. If you didn't know that. Uh, words like you and your in the discovering your purpose can make you think it's all about you, but it's not. Your purpose, and I'm speaking theologically here, your purpose must be caught up in hoping for others, building real friendships, seeking justice for all of creation. Your purpose must be caught up in the lives of the left out, the forgotten, the alone. You are part of your purpose, but your purpose is not all about you. In fact, it's about how we recognize and love the other. Dr. King said it like this in several sermons. I can never be who I ought to be until you are who you ought to be. And you can never be who you ought to be until I am who I ought to be. Whoa. What if the crowd surrounding Zacchaeus thought like that? What if they just let him break into the new identity in Christ that he was already trying out? How would their recognition of his transformation actually turn around and transform them? I mean, what if they knew it wasn't all about them? I guess they should have gone to ENC, right? Listen, uh, we're going to sing a song when this sermon is over. It's a song we sang earlier, Lord, Prepare Me to Be a Sanctuary. But I have to clarify some things. One definition of sanctuary refers to a building. But another definition of sanctuary refers to a refuge, a safe place. When we sing, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary for you, it can sound like it's all about me or it's all about me and Jesus. But it's not. We're not asking God to turn us into isolated buildings. Being a sanctuary for God is very much about us letting ourselves be a refuge for the people God is inviting to grow in grace. And that includes ourselves and it includes everyone else. Now, I, I have the privilege of getting to know students through classes, small groups, one-on-one -on -one conversations. And I've recently encountered several upperclassmen who have expressed their desire to lean, like Zacchaeus, into a new identity in Christ. And I've had students share 
that they aren't sure how their particular circle is going to understand. Not that they're... Some of these are people who may not have been Christians before, and some of them have been, but they just want to take it down a row that's a little bit more seriously than they, than they have before. And they're just not sure how their circle, their folks, their crew, how they're going to take it, how they're going to understand. Here's the thing. Zacchaeus needed a sycamore fig tree to be his sanctuary. But we don't have to let that happen. We don't have to send people into hiding. I'm going to ask a few folks to stand. You don't have to stand. So listen to the prompt and make your decision with intentionality. Now, this is not for applause, by the way. It's so no one here has to go into hiding or remain in hiding if you already are there. If you are a faculty, that was weird. If you are, if you are a faculty or staff member who is willing to meet with students and let them wrestle through their questions regarding faith, would you please stand? If you are an RA or on student government and you're willing to support fellow students who desire to grow in faith, would you please stand? Athletes, we see you. You motivate us throughout the whole year. If you're an athlete who's willing to let your teammates and friends lean into their desire to grow in Christ, please stand. Musicians and actors, you inspire us with melody, lyrics, and bringing stories to life. If you're a musician or an actor who would be willing to support your friends as they seek to live the life God hopes for them, would you please stand? There are many others I can call on to stand. In fact, I think most people in this room could stand if I went through every category I could think of. But look around. Just look around. We're in this thing together. The fact is that even people who are standing are still growing in grace growing in the way of holiness. We're all in the crowd. We're all called to be daughters and sons of Abraham. We're all part of that Zacchaeus story, but we've got each other's back. This is going to be a great year. One last prompt. If you're willing to stand while we're singing the closing song, Please stand. Grace and peace be with you.